maybe it wasn't meant to be, or it probably happened for the best. Um, It happened for a reason. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. I said, I stopped believing that when, you know, I went through things like I stopped believing everything happens for a reason. I believe in a higher power, but no, there are certain things that you're just like, I really can't understand the reason behind this. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey mamas, welcome to the podcast and thanks so much for joining me wherever you are in your day or your night. I'm your host Raylan Minka and in today's episode we're going to be talking about an issue that millions of mothers and couples around the world are experiencing, secondary infertility. Now, secondary infertility is a term that's relatively new to me, but I know friends and families that have experienced it. It refers to the difficulty or inability to get pregnant or carry a baby to term when you've already had one or more children, and it can sneak up on families who previously had little to no issues conceiving. There are a number of causes and factors that have been associated with secondary infertility, and it's obviously a heartbreaking and challenging issue for those who had hopes of growing and expanding their families. In today's episode, I'm joined by my guest, Jennifer Redmond. She's an integrative nutrition, health, and fertility coach who supports women experiencing secondary infertility and helps them to navigate this extremely difficult season of life and motherhood. She talks with me about how, in her experience, women typically feel really alone in this issue as society tells them they should feel grateful they already have a child, and it leaves little room for them to grieve or process the unexpectedness of this struggle. I'll also speak with my close friend, Michelle, who shares her personal experience dealing with secondary infertility in depth with me for the first time. It's crazy how you can know somebody for so many years and not really know what they've been through. Maybe our conversation today will encourage you to talk with or reach out to somebody in your life who might have experienced this issue as well. And make sure you stay tuned for the last segment of the episode, where I share responses collected from the Raise Your Hand Motherhood community of things not to say to somebody experiencing secondary infertility. Sometimes what we think is helpful is really the complete opposite, and it's important to hear that and to know that. All right, mamas, I hope you learned something new with me today. Now don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with my interview with Jennifer Redmond. Hello. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's really nice to finally have this conversation with you. We've been sort of back and forthing for a while (laughs) through through a move, through COVID. um, And here we are finally talking many months later. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you. Thank you for Great. for finding the time to do it. I am so glad, Jennifer, that you got in contact with me about discussing this particular topic, the topic of secondary infertility, because it's something that I've been hoping to discuss on the podcast. I have uh, friends and family who have experienced it, and I, I feel like I hear more and more stories about it, especially mm-hmm. since beginning the podcast. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, I'm sorry that you're hearing more about it, but I'm glad that we have the opportunity to talk about it because um, it's pretty nuanced, you know, and it's a and a lot of women have a hard time discussing it amongst each other. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's great that you're bringing this to your platform. So can we start off um, by you sharing a little bit more about yourself, who you are, both personally and professionally? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Jennifer Redmond. I am an integrative nutrition health coach. I've worked in the fertility space for about 17 or 18 years now. 
Oh, okay. Um, I, yeah, a long time, a long time. My, my career had been, um, until I started coaching had been as a writer and editor in the fertility space. So I was the director of communications for the national infertility association. I was the co-founder and editor in chief of a company called fertility authority, where our goal was really to kind of be like the web MD of fertility and ah. infertility. And okay. so I've literally written and edited thousands of articles on fertility and infertility. And I'm also a former fertility patient. So I've been through fertility treatment myself. Okay. Um, when I transitioned to the world of coaching, it was because I came to the realization through all those people that I'd interviewed and articles that I had written that there's so much emphasis on infertility as a disease. And in my opinion, not enough information around wellness as it pertains to fertility and infertility. I feel like women are taught from a very young age kind of how to not get pregnant, but we're not really taught how our bodies really work. We're not really taught that if there's a chance we might not be able to get pregnant if and when we want to. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. And so I studied integrative nutrition. I studied um, with Aviva Ram and her integrative and functional medicine training program for women and began coaching to really empower women to understand their fertility and to, to sort of take back control in a time when it feels like maybe there's very little control. It's so interesting to hear you explain it in that way, explain it. I am a teacher. I used to be a teacher myself and taught a lot about sex ed. And mm -hmm. so much of the sex ed curriculum everywhere is about preventing pregnancy. And mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, you spend definitely I remember being in high school, you spend a lot of that time hearing about how not to get pregnant and um, uh, safe sex. And, and that's very important, too. But you don't hear anything in your teens or in those sort of formative years about fertility and infertility. Yeah. And, you know, I was actually, this is a little bit of an aside, but it's connected. I was, I was talking to a group of nurse practitioners yesterday and we were talking about really low tech ways to track your fertility, such as your cervical mucus, right? That's something mm -hmm. that just is very, and just that whole idea of really connecting to your body and understanding how your cycle works and what are the various nuances of your cycle, again, would be super helpful if we learned that, you know, in those really formative years, just to sort of be in touch with our body's nat natural rhythms. I think it would serve us so well. As sort of an aside as well, going off of your point, I, my son is two years old now, but I have been exploring more natural forms of birth control. And I feel like pregnancy and postpartum sort of wreaked havoc on my hormones, as I'm sure a lot of mm -hmm. mothers have felt. Yeah. So I've been looking into and, and have purchased, I think it's called natural cycles or natural. It's like a thermometer mm -hmm. form of birth control. Um, and it's just interesting. It, it helps you track your cycle and sort of learn about the different stages throughout your cycle and how that all works and when your sort of windows are. And I, I'm sure that getting back on topic here, I'm sure that's something that people who struggle with infertility mm -hmm. are very knowledgeable about as they yeah. work through this process, their, their cycles and when their fertile window is. And yeah, absolutely. And, and like we said, you know, um, even tracking your cervical mucus or using a basal body thermometer is just a really low tech way for you to tune in to what's happening. Am I ovulating? Am I not ovulating? Knowing how long your cycle is, understanding the various phases of your cycle, it's super important when you're trying to get pregnant and and just really knowing your body a little bit better can be really, again, empowering mm -hmm. and helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're talking specifically in today's episode about secondary infertility. So can you share more about what that is exactly and what are some factors that can contribute to it? I imagine you have coached a lot of women who can't understand why their bodies are struggling or are unable to do this thing that it's already done once before. Right. 100%. 100%. So secondary infertility is the inability to conceive or have another child after having 
one or more children already. Um, there are, you know, it's, it's a very difficult journey when you've kind of got one foot in mom world and another foot in that trying to conceive world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, there are a number of things that can, can contribute to infertility and, and secondary infertility. Um, you know, it can be anatomic issues or genetic issues, um, conditions like PCOS or endometriosis. Perhaps there are some complications from your previous pregnancy that have mm. led to secondary infertility. Um, okay. Certainly, egg quality can be a factor. Um, and often, egg issues with egg quality happen as we age. So right. for women who are, and again, this is not to place any blame whatsoever, um, but women who might have started their, um, started having children when they're a little bit older um, might realize that they're having difficulties later on simply because of age and, and factors related to egg quality. How do the mothers that you work with feel when they come to you? Like, what are they, what are they saying? What are they hearing from the world around them? Oh, it's, it's difficult. You know, like I said, they've got one foot in mom world and one foot in trying to conceive world. Um, I think they, what I've seen, um, women in my practice feel guilty. Some of them feel like if only I had started trying sooner only I'd had my first child or my first children earlier. They feel frustrated to your point. You know, I did, I got pregnant, no problem last time. Like, why is this happening now? So it's that this level of frustration, um, this lack of control. There's generally a feeling of overwhelm, particularly if they're thinking about going through or undergoing fertility treatments, because you might have a toddler, a couple of kids, and then you've got appointments with doctors and children aren't really welcome in waiting rooms of fertility clinics, right? So mm-hmm, it's like uh, even more of a juggling act. Um, and then, you know, I think that, like I said, they often, in my experience, um, these women aren't sharing it with their girlfriends. Right. Um, their girlfriends might not understand. You know, I have clients who've said to me that, they sort of get this, well, you should be grateful you already have a child, or at least you know you can get pregnant. Things that I'm sure are well-meaning, but just really not helpful. So I think those are sort of the biggest things that I hear, you know, that sort of frustration, overwhelm, and really like either why is this happening now or why is it happening again? I've had clients who have gotten pregnant once with fertility treatment and then you know, are needing fertility treatment again for the the next or subsequent children. And um, again, here are things like, well, you were able to do it. You probably won't need fertility treatment again. And so just a lot of mixed messages that leave them feeling guilty. And again, like they're kind of straddling two worlds. Mm -hmm. And when would somebody sort of become aware, somebody who did not have issues the first time around or who went through fertility and was able to have a child? When can they sort of realize or understand that, okay, this is a point we've been trying for X amount of time and it's just not working? Right. So on the one hand, it's such an individual thing. And on the Mm -hmm. other hand, there are some real clinical guidelines. So um, a fertility doctor or an OBGYN would say, if you're under the age of 35, you can try for a year before needing what's known as a fertility workup. So certain tests to assess your ovarian function, to assess your hormone, your hormone levels in your blood, your egg um, quantity, et cetera. And then if you're over 35 and you're trying for six months, then you should get a fertility workup. Certainly if you've had, if you've been diagnosed with a condition like PCO or treated for a condition like PCOS or endometriosis, Um, you know, there's, there's not, you know, it makes sense to just move forward with trying to get some help. Um, and then, you know, like we said, 
track your period. You know, is your, does your has your period changed? Is it longer? Is it shorter? Are you not getting a period anymore? You know, when mm-hmm. did you, if it's secondary infertility, when did you stop breastfeeding? That's going to be a factor in things. Um, think about things like, are you ovulating? Again, you can use low tech like cervical mucus, basal body temperature, or you can use an app to see whether you're ovulating. So it really depends on the person, but those clinical guidelines are sort of there as a general rule of thumb. And just out of curiosity, when somebody starts fertility treatments, let's say mm-hmm. th- their second time around or for secondary infertility, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the partner checked out like all at the same time or is that all on the mom? Like, OK, we're going to check to check the mom to yeah. see if anything's quote unquote wrong or not not yeah. not working properly or because there's yeah I imagine that must be so difficult for the person who is trying to conceive yeah it absolutely is and oftentimes women tell me that it's hard because so much of it is on them right yeah. and then I know oftentimes the partners just feel sort of helpless like most of this is on you you know and there's not much I can do absolutely if you have a male partner and you're having difficulty getting pregnant, 100% your male partner should have a semen analysis. No sense in waiting for that. You could go through the whole workup yourself and it's it's a workup, you know, it's called a workup for a reason, right? There are a number <laughs> of tests that are involved at different stages of your cycle. But if you go through all that and you don't have a good understanding as to whether the semen analysis is normal or not, you know, it doesn't make sense. So such a good point. Okay. Um, You mentioned in our communication before talking today, the whole body approach to fertility. Can you talk a little bit about or a lot about that and and tell me sort of how you work with your clients and the women coming to you? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, I, I often say to my clients, your fertility is more than your reproductive system, right? Of course, your ovaries and your uterus and your eggs and your fallopian tubes, all super important in the process. But there's so much that we can do, so much that nutrition can do to help optimize our fertility, to help optimize our egg quality. Um, There are certainly lifestyle things that we can do, like reducing our toxic load with things as simple as not using plastic water bottles or thinking or using sort of more natural products. Um, And then there's the stress management piece which is another really big part of it. Um, Stress does not cause infertility, Mm. but the rates of anxiety and depression in women with infertility are equivalent to the rates of anxiety and depression in women with HIV and cancer. So it's a very real thing. Wow, that's a crazy statistic. I know, isn't it? Actually, I said it and I I get goosebumps when I say that. Me too. I really do. Yeah, yeah. So when we take this whole body approach, I would say that with 95% of my clients, we start with the nutrition piece. We look at what they're eating, what they're not eating, how they can um, incorporate foods into their diet to really support their body and support their fertility and how they can, what I call crowd out the foods that aren't supporting them. So for example, you know, a focus on eating lots of vegetables, including lots of leafy greens, you know, are you getting antioxidants in your food, really using your, the way you eat as the best way of getting the nutrients that you need. Supplements are another thing, but really there's so much you can do with the food that you're eating. You know, are you getting a lot of sugar? Sugar we know is a culprit in so many diseases in our society. So what is your sugar intake like? Should you be giving up gluten for a while? Should you be giving up dairy for a while? So really taking a very thorough look at nutrition and how it is and isn't supporting your fertility and then making changes in a very doable way. You know, we're not looking to go from like zero to 60, right? You want to Mm -hmm. make it really um, manageable and doable. So incremental changes that are going to then become lasting changes that will support these women through fertility, through pregnancy, through motherhood and beyond, right? We're really talking about lifestyle changes. So the nutrition is generally the first piece. In my practice, we pretty quickly move on to the stress management piece and really thinking about 
ways to incorporate mindfulness, uh, ways to reduce stress. If it's a client with secondary infertility, knowing that they already have a pretty full day, right? Yeah, so exactly. The, the best modality to use for managing your stress is going to be the one that you're going to do consistently. So whether that's meditation, mm. <laughs> whether that's a gratitude practice, whether that's getting out in nature, which is meditative and calming for a lot of people. Um, I love to recommend deep breathing exercises because you can do them anywhere. Um, you don't need any equipment for it, right? And there mm -hmm, are some right. really simple deep breathing exercises that will really just help ground you pretty quickly. Okay. So really taking a look at that stress management piece. And then in integrative nutrition, there's this concept of primary foods and secondary foods because foods, the food on your plate isn't the only thing that nourishes you. So those other things that are going to nourish you are your relationships, um, your work-life balance, getting out in nature, spirituality. So really taking a look at what does your day look like? What are the things that bring you joy? And how can you bring some of those back in so that it's not all fertility all the time? Because mm -hmm. it's really important to try and find some sort of balance. So when I talk about that whole body approach, again, it's nutrition, it's lifestyle, it's stress management. And then depending on the woman, you know, we might look at um, optimizing her sleep. We might look at what is your exercise and movement like? Are you doing exercise that's supportive for your fertility? Are you over-exercising? Are you under-exercising? So really taking into account the whole woman um, rather than only focusing on her reproductive system. Right. That's uh, that's wonderful. That's uh, a lot of different areas to consider. I, I imagine it's also can be quite overwhelming to feel as a mom, like I need to overhaul my entire life, you know, but it sounds like by starting with the food piece and taking a look at that and then sort of incrementally looking at the next step and the next step. And let's just keep taking one step right. at a time to figure right. out how we can make this a, a healthier environment or I'm not really sure how to say that, but yeah. Yeah. So again, I mean, part of it is it's, so it's definitely doing the things that are going to both boost your fertility, support your fertility, but also just help you manage this season of life. Right. right. So it's about supporting your whole body, your whole system. and. Yeah, it, it probably does sound overwhelming, right? And that's why we do it in these incremental changes. And I, mm -hmm. I meet you where you're at. Like I said, 90, 95% of my clients come to me for the nutrition piece, but I have had clients who are like, I'm just way too overwhelmed and I need somebody to just walk with me side by side through this journey because I've got my husband and he's fantastic, but he doesn't get it. He's not going through it. And so just to have somebody to sort of be your partner with you on this journey in a different way than your actual partner is going to be, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. or if you're, if you're without a partner, it's just super supportive and, and I think much needed. Much needed. So Jennifer, some women overcome their secondary infertility challenges and others are simply unable to conceive again, regardless of what they've tried, what they've changed. How do you help mothers manage the mental and emotional side of this secondary infertility? And most importantly, how do you coach them through the moment when they decide that they're ready to stop trying? Yeah, yeah. So that's a real, a real crossroads and it's a real part of the journey. And that time when you say like enough is enough, mm -hmm. it's going to be different for everyone. Everyone has a different threshold for how long they want to try to conceive, whether or not they want to do fertility treatment. That's a choice too that women right. have to struggle with, right? That's not for everybody. So it's a very personal decision. So, you know, I coach them by engaging in conversation with them, really helping them to feel okay mourning the loss because it is a loss, um, right. grieving the loss. 
you know, very much it is a loss. Many of my clients will join a support group if they feel comfortable doing that. Um, So I can provide them with resources around that. But then in our actual coaching session, if they feel like they're at that point of like enough is enough, you know, I know for me, I got my husband, I got to a point where we thought we just need to take our lives back. Like we can't keep going down this road. We just need our lives back. Right. So that's when we really start looking at okay, so let's try this on for size. So maybe you're not going to, you're not going to continue to keep trying in whatever way. Um, maybe that's when we start taking another look at those primary foods, you know, where is spirituality in your life? Would that support you here? What are the relationships in your life? What is your social life? Like, what is your home environment? Like, and just really helping them to sort of revisit the other parts of their lives so that they can know where they really stand. Everybody's going to get to it at a different point. And I think really just holding space for that, that questioning and that not knowing is really critical. I was going to say important, but I think it's critical at that Mm -hmm. time to just, and, and, you know, I'll often have my clients do some journaling exercises. I might give them some journal prompts to really help them think it through. And I am definitely not a therapist um, and I don't try and substitute for a therapist. And like I said, many of my clients will go to a support group or also seek therapy, but I can really help them sort of look at all these other areas of their lives and give them the questions to help them determine when enough is enough. So it's almost like setting them up with this bubble of support in all other Mm -hmm. areas of their lives to allow them to realize that they will be okay, that it's still a loss, as you say, and they can still grieve that loss, but that they know they have all of these support systems around them to help after they make that decision. Yeah, yeah. And to really think about what else is going on in your life and maybe where do you need support or where do you maybe need to draw in other things in your life? Mm -hmm. Um, and what you need to set aside in order to make those decisions and to feel good about that decision. And one thing I'll say to, to people listening, um, is that most couples aren't on the same page at the same time. So that's usually a factor too. So if you're in one place and your partner is another place, you know, it might take some discussion. It might take some time. It might take some time thinking separately and then coming together and having conversation because it's rare to just be like, click, okay, we're on the same page. We're, we're going to continue the fertility treatment. We're not, we're going to keep trying to have a child or we're not. So also just knowing that can be helpful. And I think really, if you have a partner engaging with your partner um, so that the resolution is a resolution that works for both of you and for your family. That's a really valuable point to share. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I hadn't really processed that in my brain. I know couples are going through this together, but that both people in that couple might be at different places at the at yeah. different times. That is just such an added element of difficulty. So hmm. Jennifer, I want to say thank you again for getting in touch so that we could talk about this. As I said in the in the beginning of the interview, I, I have friends and family who have struggled through secondary infertility, some who have gone on to have more children and others who haven't. And it's been really informative speaking with you and, and learning more about it. It's just so hard to comprehend how how it must feel for those millions of mm-hmm. women and families who experience this while trying to trying to grow and expand their families. So thank you. Oh my gosh, absolutely my pleasure. It's it's uh, it's a privilege to talk about this with you. And I really appreciate the way you're presenting the information in such a thoughtful way. And I know it's going to be so supportive to so many people. So I'm really glad we were able to connect on this. Me too, me too. Um, Jennifer, can you tell the listeners how they can learn more from you, uh, how they can learn from you about fertility, about secondary infertility, and where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is jenredmond.com, J-E-N-N-R-E-D-M-O-N-D.com. And my Instagram and Facebook handles are at jenredmond, again with two N's, jenredmond, I-N-H-C. Um, okay. And so, yeah, those are the best places to find me. Great. 
Thank you again. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. I, I really do just feel so honored to work with the women that I do and and to be able to meet women like you who are getting this information out there. It's just such an honor. Hey, mamas, how's it going? I just dropped my son off at daycare after... Um, almost a week and a half off. He's been sick with a virus. Um, I'm sure that's not unfamiliar to many people listening. And I just biked back up into town, which is sort of my routine this last month or so that he's been going full time to daycare. And I have to say, after the sickness and the stressors of the last week, I walk up into my little German city and Christmas markets are almost here. <laughs> Makes me so happy this time of year, this season. It's, uh, yeah, it's middle of November and they're set to be opening up very shortly and they're everywhere. They're everywhere. It's just Christmas balls and Christmas lights and Christmas wreaths and Christmas wine. And it brings me a lot of joy and I saw on Facebook this morning, a Facebook friend of mine had posted uh, a quote or photo from somewhere talking about giving people who put their Christmas lights and their Christmas decorations and their Christmas trees up early, whatever early means for you, but early, giving them a break because it might just be their way of introducing a little bit of light and joy into their daily routine at a time of year when it's getting really cold and it's getting really dark really early and they're feeling maybe overwhelmed or whatever the reason. Maybe they just need that little bit of joy and light and music, whatever it is they set up for Christmas, as I said, quote unquote early, just uh, yeah, cut them, cut them some slack. And don't make a fuss about it this year. Help, help them put it up this year. I know I fall into that boat of needing this Christmas spirit as early as possible in this sort of cold, dark, wintry season. So I just wanted to share that thought. I wish you could all be here. Come have a glue vine with me. And I hope that your kiddos are all healthy and happy. And I hope you're having a great day. Bye for now, mamas. Okay, I'll be right back with my conversation with good friend and fellow mom, Michelle. Hey! Hello! You know, it's funny because I've spoken with with people on the podcast before. I've mentioned you before as being one of the, the first people that I knew in my like close friend group to have kids. And the truths that you would tell afterwards were so helpful for me to hear at the time, but also helpful for me to hear after having Oscar, like to, to think back on the conversations that we had had, like, yeah, this part was really hard, you know, and to go like, that was really helpful having a friend that was so honest about that, you know? And so, yeah, but I've never heard the full story of what you went through with your fertility struggles after Owen. And yeah, I really like you to share. And I know that's why we're talking right now, but thanks for, for talking with me about it. Yeah, no problem. Can you tell me a little bit more? Because I don't remember the the story the first time around. But what was the process like for you and your partner having your first child? Oh, my gosh. It's so long ago. It feels like yesterday, but also so long ago. So um, I have not been like an extremely open person with the whole process from like start to end. And I don't really know why. I think when I reflect on that, it's sort of like you take those moments and you put them in those places in your mind because you just don't really want to remember. But our process started with, um, it was a couple months after we got married and we had a positive pregnancy test, but I knew something was wrong because I was bleeding. And then long story short, with advocating, trying to get ultrasounds and that, we found out it was an ectopic pregnancy. Right. So I'm sure you know what that is. That's the, um, it was in the fallopian tube. So luckily I was super lucky in that they caught it really early on. 
because it can um, be very dangerous. It can be. It, you can lose your fallopian tube if you have, um, if you don't catch it, and if it continues to grow, then it will um, erupt. Maybe is the right term there. Mm-hmm. Your fallopian tube, and you can lose that. So, um, found it early on and was able to get this type of medication, and it's naturally not naturally because the medication was not natural, but that mm-hmm. helped. Um, with that, that process. Um, and then we were told, I remember this, like it was yesterday, we were told while in the hospital that because of the medication, we could not even attempt to conceive for three months because the probability of having a child with some sort of significant issue was imminent. So I remember being terrified for three months, but I also had this like countdown Mm-hmm. Of like when we were able to try again, because we had been together for so long and you have this plan that, you know, I think by the time we finally got married, we'd been together for 10 years and we'd already lived together. Now we got married right. and now we have a kid and I wanted it now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those three months were like torture. Um, but yeah, so three months had passed. And on that next month that we were able to, we conceived no issue I was terrified that it was going to happen again. So we had like multiple, multiple um, ultrasounds early on to make sure it was in the right location. Right. And then from there, I had a very easy, natural pregnancy, a very, I will describe my whole experience as easy compared to other stories that I have heard. I had Mm -hmm. very limited sickness. I was healthy. I felt great. The actual birth was quick for a first time mom. I think it was less than 12 hours from start to finish and had no issues at all. It was, it was, I was one of the lucky ones where it was a really pleasant birthing experience. (laughs) And then, and then you had, uh, I would say, normal experience raising a newborn and struggles and whatnot that every new mom experiences. By that, I don't mean that everything was peachy and wonderful. I just mean normal, like ups and downs and highs and lows. And yes, I think we've talked before about how I was someone who I was so focused and adamant about around the birth and birthing naturally that I focused so much of my time and energy and thought process on that, that I didn't even think of considering the after (laughs) after. (laughs) talking to anyone about like that first day or that first week or first month of being a mom and what that feels like. I just sort of made it through and then went like, Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel right. I don't feel okay. I feel sad. What's going on. I should be happy. Mm -hmm. Like I am freaking tired. (laughs) No one told me about this. Oh my God. Yes. Or maybe they did. I just wasn't listening. I don't know. I just don't, I don't think that they did. I know. I don't think that they did. (laughs) I don't think that they did. But then I remember, as I said before, I appreciated it so much hearing your truths and like your vulnerability about that first year or that first six months. And that helped me a lot after I had my son. So yeah. I'm glad. (laughs) It did. So when did you start thinking about trying for a second child? Yeah. So again, those who know me know that I'm a a bit of a planner. So it was always Mm -hmm. in my head that we would start when he was two and then I'd be able to, it was all in my mind. It was all based around like planning on timing that I was having a second child when our first was off to school and it was all going to work out perfectly. And again, in my head, because it happened so quickly that I didn't even consider another plan. It just in my head that we were going to say we were trying, it was going to happen the first time and then we would move on from there and that would be the plan. Right. So it and was around have two children and they'd be three years apart or yeah. two and a half years apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was literally like when I reflect back on, I was literally trying to emulate my childhood situation. Yeah. Your yeah. older brother uh, and you older brother, three years apart. I had a son. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm going to have a little a daughter. Little yeah. <laughs> And it's just how it's going to be. But it definitely was not. So um, 
around two, we started trying and it was about six to eight months in where I started thinking and considering that we needed to reach out or just have some conversation around what was going on because something obviously wasn't right that this Mm -hmm. happened so naturally and so quickly before like what was going on now so it was near that I think more eight month mark that we reached out to family doctor multiple tests reached out to fertility and then just if anyone has gone through any type of fertility I'm sure they would understand me saying that it literally snowballs from there. Mm. And it's hard to even remember dates and times and choices and conversations because it's a literal snowball effect that occurs. So the guests that I had on the podcast for this episode, we talked about how so much pressure can fall on the mom or on the woman or the birthing person in the relationship because they're the one whose body is like, having to go through all these fertility treatments and they're the ones who, you know, have to get tests done. And so a question I had asked is, does, is the partner simultaneously getting tests done as well to make sure that it's like to, to kind of have a, a holistic, like a view of the whole picture of what's going on. Was that the situation for you guys? Yeah. So it was a lot more onerous on me. So it was, um, we both did were involved in that process, but mine was a lot more, Mm -hmm. So as you guys were going through this, and if I know you said that timelines are kind of like iffy in your head, because it was just this sort of period of your life that you don't go back and think lots about. But did you know people at the time who were going through similar things? Like, did you have people to talk to who had experienced this secondary infertility, infertility after having a first child? So not, not secondary, um, but I did have a coworker who um, was going through a lot of fertility issues just to conceive their first. So she was a huge source of information for me, of support for me, because I talked about it very little. Like our parents didn't know about the lengths that we were going to. They sort of knew that there was something going on that we were having issues, but not to the lengths of testing and procedures and everything that we were going through. So yes, I had this a coworker who was like my, my, Lifeline, sort of. my rock, my shoulder to cry on, um, watching her and hearing her story go through it. I knew that we were, we were in for something big and we had to be prepared both physically, emotionally, our relationship had to be prepared for it. We had mm-hmm. to learn happy to have or to support me through that. Oh man. Something that, that Jennifer brought up as well, the guest that I had that I really was like, whoa, I hadn't thought about that is that moment when a couple decides that it's time to stop trying. And I had kind of framed it in my head as like couples going through infertility when did they decide that it's been enough? The journey has been long enough and they decide that together. And she made the point that like, that's not always how it happens, that that couples are not always on the same timelines. They're not always on the same page at the same time. One partner might be really finished, like, okay, we need to kind of get on with our lives and live the life that we have. And the other partner might not be there yet. Like was, what was that like for you guys? That's a great question. Um, an important question. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys talked about that. Yeah, that's a tough one. So my partner was, is incredible. He was so supportive in a way that I never really thought he was going to be. It sort of shocked me a little bit how supportive he was. Huh. And he took the stand. We've talked a lot about, about this. He took the approach that I was putting myself through so much more than he had to that all of the appointments, mm. all of the procedures, they were all focused on me. So he pretty much said from the very beginning, like, I'm with you and I'll be with you until you don't want to anymore. And that was helpful just to have him like on the page of whatever page that I was on, on the, on that particular day. Yeah. So at the very beginning, when we started this, I was very sure in myself that I would not do IVF, that that was my hard no. 
that we would start with whatever okay. we needed to start with. It was very unknown at the time, but I was a hard no with IVF at the very beginning of the journey. So we started talking to the doctors, getting IUIs done. I think we did five rounds of IUIs with two different um, fertility clinics. And then they ask the question about IVF. And I recall saying, no, that's a hard no for me. But then they give you hope. <laughs> and hope is a scary thing when it comes to this. Hope is what you're holding on to this whole time. But it's also what creates like so much sadness in all of it as well. So I remember the conversation about, you know, it doesn't hurt just to go and have the conversation. So they talked me into it. Mm-hmm. I say talked me into it. I, I don't mean to blame. I was very, I made my own decision to go and do that. And my partner supported me. Um, we went and had the conversation with uh, the fertility clinic in the city and went over the whole process. And then they say, you know, it's a one year waiting list to get on. Um, IVF does your first IVF is government funded and it's a long wait. Right. And again, you know, it doesn't hurt to get on the wait list. But at that time, I was still very unsure because I was that hard no. So I got myself on the wait list. And it was about a year. And for that year, I had entered this place where I thought I was fine, that I was happy. We had had entered a whole new sort of groove into our life. We got very into this newfound independence as our son was getting older my partner and I were connecting again, a different level and everything was good. And then I remember we were at our trailer in Huntsville and I remember lying in bed, it was late at night and an email popped up and it was, I was next on the list for the round of government funded IVF. And I remember reading it and bawling, just breaking down bawling. Oh my gosh. Like, What's going on? And showed him what it was. And he's like, okay, so like, why are you reacting this way? And I'm like, (laughs) I didn't really know, but it realized that I reacted that way because I changed my mind. I wanted it because there was this hope again. Right. In In that that moment. moment. Yeah. And and I convinced myself in my head that, okay, the problem is I just need to get the embryo in the right spot. And then I've carried before my problem yeah. is that it's just not getting there. That's what I convinced myself in my head. So I said, I'm going through it. It's going to work because I just need it in that nice, warm home in my body. And then my body knows what to do and I can take it from there. We fell right. into the IVF piece and I never thought I would. Um, and so that piece happened, that piece failed. And that was the break. The not that being unsuccessful was the breaking point for me. And that was my end. It really solidified that I emotionally, physically, like you are giving yourself injection upon injection. It's so mentally draining. It's so isolating because we weren't telling a lot of people about it. So when that wasn't successful and my reaction to that was so devastating that I knew never again. I would never put myself, put Mike ever through that again. So that was, to me, I had reached the part that no, my, my journey is done <laughs> and I was okay with that. And there's never really an end date. I was, I was thinking about this a little bit last night where, you know, I have said I'm done with the treatments, with the procedures, but it never ends in terms of your, there, your, there's always that what if that, even though I consider myself being very fortunate and very happy where I am, do I still get a little bit sad every time I get a period? Yeah. (laughs) Do I still think it kind of sucks because there's all these wonderful stories of the people who stopped trying and then it magically happened and that's not my story. Yeah, it sucks. There's always that hope, but it's just, it's a never ending journey of, of adapting to the fact that it's not happening, but I, that was my end for me and not wanting to move forward with any more procedures and the very medical based component of what infertility makes you go through. I'm sorry that you guys 
went through that, that you're, that you still feel that way, that that's, you know, as you, as you acknowledge that that is still, you know, a feeling that resurfaces from time to time and you learn to cope with that or to sort of live with that. But that's, that's how that is. That's that part of your story. And to put it into perspective, like infertility, whether it's primary, secondary, wherever it is in your journey, it's a process. So the question before was about when we started our son was two and um, the IVF, the failed IVF happened in the winter of 2020, only two years ago. So that was six years of this whole process. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that anyone can, because it's been so embedded in your life for such a long period of time, it's not easy to just be done with it in that, in that way. So I've invested so much time and emotion and heartache into this, that it's that the process of, of coping and moving forward is, is that much more because of the long time that, that we dealt with it and are still dealing. Well, and exactly. Like I, I spoke with Jennifer um, in the interview before this about how, you grieve, you grieve the loss of what you thought you were going to have. You grieve the loss of the family that you hoped, you know, or that you assumed was going to to happen, maybe especially because you had gone through this process before and, you know, have this beautiful child. But it is a, it is a grieving process. And that's, that's ongoing. That's, there's no end point, as you, as you yeah. pointed out. Do you have any like words of advice for somebody going through this experience now or words of comfort for like a younger version of yourself? Oh, that is, it's, it's, that's an interesting one because my story is not one of success. That's, that's the hard mm-hmm. one, but I think that's an important one to identify that, um, that we weren't successful and that is okay. That happens sometimes too. And you have to be okay with that. More advice looking back or to anything going through it, like the, it it is okay to be angry. I was angry for a long time and it wasn't an anger, like any hatred towards anything or anyone or myself or people. It was more this like fueled in jealousy. I recall I would see pregnant people and just them Mm. (laughs) and not them because of them them because jealousy of myself or like isolating myself from other people who had multiple children that kind of idea and I think the message is that like that is it's okay it's okay to feel that Mm. and you just need to do whatever you need to do to get through that and mine unfortunately was more of a space of isolation from others I needed to do this journey in a very isolated way and not have everyone in my business about that other than my my partner who was there with me and that's what I needed and anyone else going through this I think you understand what you need some people need everyone in the world to know about it and they need to talk about it constantly because it helps them cope that wasn't me but it's just finding what you need to get through this and knowing when enough is enough it's a mm-hmm. difficult it's really really difficult that was probably the most it was the easiest, but also most difficult decision saying I'm done, but also realizing that if I don't say I'm done, this is going to tear apart me. This is going to tear apart our family. There's so much more that it, that it affects. So that's not really really positive advice (laughs) in any way. I think it's just real, right? That it's real is helpful. Yeah. It also is helpful to know that you are not alone and you will learn that anyone going through this you literally line up outside of clinics and hospitals. The next thing you know, there's 20 plus girls waiting behind you, all going through a very similar story. So that was a little bit both sad and also comforting at the same time that there were all these other people feeling potentially the same thing that I was feeling in the moment, but also knowing statistics wise, there's only a few of us in this long line of people that are going to be successful to go through this. So that can be both helpful and oh, not at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say thanks, Mo, for sharing your story with me. And honestly, it makes me emotional. 
um, hearing it from someone that has been a part of my life for a long time and knowing that you went through that and that you, that you needed to go through it more privately, as you said, but I know that by sharing your story that, um, there will be somebody who listens, who gets a lot of comfort from hearing that. So thank you. I hope so. As promised, I asked the Raise Your Hand Motherhood community to help me compile a list of things not to say to somebody experiencing secondary infertility. This is what they had to share. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear what people say. Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. Such a loaded question. Such a loaded question. Yeah. Yeah. But helpful. Helpful for the people on the other end who are saying those things and and thinking that they're being helpful to to listen and to understand that and to learn that that's, that's not helpful. Yeah, because, yeah, let's face it. Most people are really well-intentioned, right? Yeah. They haven't walked in those shoes. They're trying to be supportive. But being on the receiving end of that is really tough. Yeah. This is such a, like, weird, random one that was said to me, which was just bizarre. But, like, paint your bedroom yellow. It's good feng shui. And then you'll get pregnant. I was like, so not helpful. I just blogged about that, actually. Maybe it wasn't meant to be or... It probably happened for the best. Oh, um, it happened for a reason. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. I said, I stopped believing that when, you know, I went through things like I stopped believing everything happens for a reason. I believe in a higher power, but no, there are certain things that you're just like, I really can't understand the reason behind this. Okay, so I received a number of comments from women on social media, and I'll share the most repeated responses here. The first one, God has a plan. Sandra shared this and wrote the following. My friend said this to me. She knows full well that I'm an atheist. We've had plenty of amicable discussions about it. I don't know why she thought telling me that this was an intentional decision from an omnipotent being that I don't believe in would be a good idea. Katie wanted to add, what about adoption? Or two children are hard work anyway, especially hard when coming from parents of two children. Alexis shared that she's experienced infertility and a few things on her not to say list. Maybe it's not meant to be or wow, I got pregnant right away. Victoria wrote to say the worst thing she heard was, just be happy with what you have. Linnea added, don't ask people, have you tried X, Y, or Z yet? If they're seeing a fertility doctor, just assume that they have tried it. Also, don't tell them how easily you got pregnant. Jessica wrote to say that she always hated hearing, when are you going to start trying for a second? Erica struggled with hearing, at least you have a child, some people can't have any. Andrea would add to this list, you're still young, you have time to try again, or maybe it's just not the right time, or the worst one for her, which seems to be a theme here, everything happens for a reason. And Michelle's addition to things not to say, God gives struggles to those who can handle it. I did also receive a few comments from women who experienced infertility the second time around, but were able to conceive after much struggle. Angela wrote that she'd been trying for a year for a second child and had experienced two losses when she finally fell pregnant. And then when she told people the news, their reaction was, wait, was it on purpose? And lastly, I received this voice note from a family member who shared the following. I just saw your post for the secondary infertility, you know, that I relate to that topic with the struggle that we had. Um, And I'm just, I've been trying to reflect on what people said to me during that period, but what, what has stood out to me more or like what's coming to mind for me anyway, is that when I did conceive, people made a lot of comments like, see, you just had to relax, or you had to eliminate stress from your life, or, you know, comments like that, that suggested that my infertility period was a personal failing somehow, right? Like not something happening in my, you know, in my system or my husband's system, which which is actually what was happening for us. But when people said that to me, it did feel like, again, like somehow I had failed or it was really a strange experience um, that left me feeling uncomfortable. And of course, I think speaks to the things that one experiences, you know, the sense of betrayal of like one's own body or something like that because of those types of pressures that suggest that that's our functionality as women, right?
Thanks again, mamas, for tuning into today's episode. I know I've learned a lot about this issue myself, and I definitely feel better equipped to support the people in my life who either are currently or have experienced secondary infertility in the past. If you're appreciating the topics discussed in this podcast, please give the show a five-star rating and review on your podcast listening app of choice. It may be your first time writing a review, but I can tell you from my experience as a little indie podcaster that your words matter so much. And if tech isn't really your strong suit, word of mouth is the very next best thing. Tell a friend today about the podcast and tell that friend to tell a friend. If you have a comment, a question, or a suggestion for an upcoming episode, you can reach me on Instagram at the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Pod or at www.raiseyourhandmotherhoodpodcast.com. All right, mamas, that's all for today's show. Thanks for letting me hang out with you, and let's do it again soon. Until next time. Hey mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.